Welcome to Eggshell Transformations, a podcast for intense people. My name is Imi, and I'm here with you on a journey. Do you sometimes eat even when you are not hungry, but just feel bored, empty, or angry? Are you chronically stressed because you are trying to be perfect all the time? My conversation with emotional eating expert Karen Koenig ends up being not just about eating, but our deeply unconscious patterns and personality tendencies that hold us back, such as perfectionism and what she calls nice boys and girls syndrome. This conversation was both intimate and practical. We shared some of our own journeys, and Karen offered some great tips you can immediately use to get off the emotional roller coaster. Whether or not you think you struggle with emotional eating, I think you will learn a lot from this. Now to Karen. Hi, Karen. Thank you very much for agreeing to come on. It's um, it's a great opportunity to talk to you about you, um, your work, and your specialty. Well, I'm delighted to be on. I'm I'm glad that you're interested in it because I think most audiences are. Mm, I know whether or not they realize it. Yes, that's right. Or and whether they need to whether they realize they need to know the information or not. Mm, mm. Yeah, actually, that that already starts off very interesting. I, I want to know in the more sociological level, where do you see it? Um, I'm very, very interested in this topic in the relationship between food and our bodies and our psychology. Um, and I also see it changing in our world, in the media. And so perhaps we can talk more generally about that too. But to begin with, I want to start with your own personal experience because I would imagine a lot of my audience you know, they look at your profile, they probably don't see your experience or where your struggle lied. So tell us a bit more about yourself and what has brought you here to this work. It's interesting you ask because I started to work with a new client yesterday. And when I started talking about my own experiences you know, with binge eating, overeating, mindless eating. Which, by the way, I also have a history of. Okay, so you understand, and we we all feel so alone with it. And um, she's a, a you know very young woman, and um, she's never really been able to acknowledge it. And when I started talking about mine, she started to cry. Yeah, and I think it 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 really um, it's so important to know that we're not alone. You know? mm. I felt uh, I, I had some binge buddies. I was a chronic dieter. I was a binge eater. Um, so I had binge buddies, but I don't think anybody, we didn't talk about the downside of what you felt like after. And um, Were you a binge eater or a bulimic? Do you throw up or do I, something to get rid of I was, food? I was a little of everything. Yeah. Um, uh, I was a binge eater. I was a chronic dieter, which of course causes the binge eating. I had bulimia for about a year and a half. Mm. And um, then I went into therapy and uh, that ended. And that helped me, you know, start the ball rolling with really becoming a normal eater. And wow. um, once when was I was, that? How old were you? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, I call, I'm 72. So I call it half a lifetime ago. Mm -hmm. So my first half of my life, I had eating problems. My the second half of my life... You know, I've been fortunate 
to be, be very comfortable with food in my body. Wow. Yeah. I think for most people, it's the work of a lifetime. It is. And so many don't realize that it is. And that it, it opens up the rest of your life. Mm. Um, this woman I was seeing yesterday was, felt so defective and it was so awful. And, you know, I always tell clients, it's not a crime. It's not a felony. It's not even a misdemeanor. You're not going to be arrested. It's the way you learn to cope with life. It's the best you could do. And when yeah. you know better, yeah. you do better. Yeah, I say that to all my clients who have some kind of struggle with compulsions and addiction, which is, that was the best strategy you could have come up with. Without it, you might have died. Yes, mm. or done something worse. Yes, yes, yes. So for you, what was it like growing up? What kind of, were you a sensitive girl? Were you quite stoic? Both. Ah. I was, I was both. Um, I think my mom was somewhat sensitive and my father was stoic. So um, she was a normal leader, but my dad would fluctuate up and down the scale mm. and he was a clean plate person. So he'd sit there reading. I, I grew up in uh, New York City and uh, he'd sit there reading the paper while I finished all the food on my plate. Um, and then, you know, since we're going to be talking about feelings, if I cried at the table, yes, it made me leave the table. Oh, gosh. So, um, I, you know, I got a lot of unhealthy messages. And um, I used to sneak food. And um, I dieted a lot. I had this diary I wrote, just ate an apple to today. Hooray. And then, of course, we know what I would do the next day. You know, I need mm. a whole apple pie. Mm. So he encouraged he encouraged suppression of feelings. Oh, absolutely, A absolutely. Um, but you know, it didn't really bother me. I mean, I, I grew up I grew up to be a therapist, you know, full of feeling, encouraging people to uh, do other, you know, have their feelings, do things with them. So um, I, I feel like. You know, he needed to do that for himself, and that's what he learned growing up. Mm. But it really never stuck with me. So his suppression didn't let, didn't really lead you to have to oppress your own emotions. Not, not at all. When mm. I was fourteen, I asked my parents. Now we're talking about back in the, let's see, you know, <laughs> early sixties. I told them I I wanted to go to therapy. Wow. And they, and my mom talked my dad into it. There was stuff I wanted to talk to, you know, a therapist about with boyfriends. And, um, and I was pretty persistent. So I was really fortunate that I had a lot of strong personality traits that mm. benefited me. Yeah, I get the sense that yeah. you were spirited from a young age. Yes. Would you say you were quite intense as a person? I don't know. I, I would have to see how people describe me if they describe me as intense. Mm. Um, I, I'm i pretty direct. I have strong feelings. I'm not yeah. usually afraid uh, to share them. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I is think, that intense? Well, I think in our world of good girls, mm -hmm. that is a rare gift. And I think you can potentially, or you can not potentially, you do help a lot of people to be more forthright and direct 
Mm-hmm. And it's probably irritating to you when people are not. <laughs> um, no, I think it depends. In my work, yeah. it's fine because it's my job to coax it out of them <laughs> delicately. Of course. Um, and, Therapeutically. Um, yeah, but I'd say my friends are pretty much like me. Mm. Pretty, yeah. You know, and they've all been to therapy, of course. So that, that explains some of it. Absolutely. It's a delight to be surrounded by enlightened people where you don't have to beat around the bush. Yes. And you don't have to be ashamed of it. Mm. Look at the things that weren't right in your life. And you think about how good you feel that you change them and you under, you have compassion, self-compassion to understand how you got there. Mm. So it's kind of a win-win all around. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. When did you find your calling, your mission to help the world through psychology and help people with their relationship with eating? Well, the psychology came before the the eating. Um, When I was in camp, uh, um, I would sit on the back steps of our bunk. Yeah. And kids would come and, I mean, I was, what, maybe 14, 15, and come and talk to me about their problems and um i don't know i liked it i i must have said something intelligent because <laughs> they came back so for sure i mean I, I was many things i mean i didn't i started out as a teacher i did administrative work oh wow uh, then i got a um a master's in education and i worked doing some training and then I just decided, you know, I always wanted to be a therapist. I'm going to be a therapist. So I went back to school in my late 30s. I was maybe 40. And I got my degree in social work. And, um, you know, it just it felt I have, right. I have a feeling that you have a lot of energy. Oh, I do. I, yeah. I do. Yeah. I, I do. Um, I like I, to do what I like to do. Mm. Yeah, no, that I think some of my audience can resonate with too. A lot of physical and mental energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder what's, um, what's the relationship between that and eating? Um, me and my therapist has this theory that um, I have used eating as a way of relaxing, calming down, bringing the energy down and to, to temper the overexcitabilities. Mm-hmm. That's that's my therapist theory with me. Um, do you have one with your own relationship with eating or psychology? Well, I, you know, I, I think that we use it to self-regulate. And sometimes yes. it's to calm down. And sometimes it's, oh, I mean, I can remember when I would be bored on a Saturday night. You know, I was single. I oh, wasn't yeah. dating anybody. Hey, food, you know, that's going to brighten things up. Yes, yes, that's so absolutely true. Sometimes it dims true. the lights mm. and sometimes it brightens it. It brightens it, yeah. And, and it I, regulates whatever you need regulating. Absolutely, that is spot on. And I do remember it filling this gaping hole of aloneness when I was younger too. And I see that in others. So we go. let's go back to the beginning. What is an emotional eater? How do you define an emotional eater. The, I would say the the problem is that they deal with the discomfort of emotions by using food to either ramp them up or tamp them down. 
So they, it's not that they misunderstand food cues. I think that they, they do, mm. but they override them. You know, I'm not hungry, but I'm lonely, so I'll eat. Um, sometimes people don't know what they're feeling. Mm. Um, but they also don't understand that feelings have a, an evolutionary crucial purpose to our being just as eating does. Mm-hmm. So when you use one for the other, you miss out on great information in life that's coming to you mm. when they're confused. Yeah. If it acts like a replacement, then we don't get the information, the messages from feelings. Yes. Yes. I think people are still warming up to the idea of feelings as messengers, to be honest. I don't know if they ever will. I mean, um, I'm, I think that feelings aren't talked about and um, their purpose isn't. I, I actually did a talk to the um, it was a bachelor level uh, social work class at uh, our lo- one of the local universities. And I asked these people, of all people, what are feelings for? No hands went up. So if they don't know them, you know, how can we expect the average person who, you know, they call feelings bad, they're negative, they're hurtful, um, I don't want to have them, as opposed to they're like your senses. You know, if you smell a rose, you want to go toward it. If you hear a clanging fire engine, you get out of the way, you move away from it. It's, yeah. They're just information. They're just information. And so, but information on how to live life, like, you know, like your senses. Mm-hmm. And so if you think of them that way, they're just all value neutral. Mm-hmm. There's no bad or good. There's ones that make us uncomfortable and ones that make us feel great. This might be a jump already. You have in your book mentioned seven difficult feelings for emotional eaters, and I'll name them here. Guilt, shame, helplessness, anxiety, disappointment, confusion, and loneliness. I suppose it's really hard for people to see the positive functions of these challenging emotions. Can you mm-hmm. talk us through some of them, maybe pick one or two, and how they, what their roles are, how they can help us if we were to be open to them? Oh, sure. For instance, confusion. Yeah. Particularly if you grew up um, with, you know, with parents or family teaching you, always need to know what you're doing, you know, um, always have to have, know whether it's right or it's wrong. Well, that life is not really like that. Um, that's an image we would like to have. So people feel confused and then they're, they're frightened. Mm-hmm. Uh, they think it's terrible. So then they have secondary feelings. So first they're confused and then they feel ashamed that they're confused. And, or uncertain, or doubtful. So to me, it just means you need more information, you need more time. It is very valuable to be confused because sometimes we have to shake up that stuff in our heads to make sense of the world. Yeah. Because the way we learned doesn't make sense. So I think it's healthy confusion. Um, mm-hmm. I don't mind it. I don't mind not knowing uh I had to make some decisions and I use the organic process, you know, gather information, see if it proves right, go to the next level, 
Yeah, so it cues um, you to take action. Yes, and I, I only do it incrementally or until I feel like, ah, now I know what I want. Interesting. Um, so that's one of them. Uh, loneliness. Boredom means we want something to do. We need stimulation. Loneliness means we want connection or attachment. Mm. That seems a wonderful evolutionary tool to me. This is a, probably a big one. I'm a bit greedy in asking. I can see the function of guilt, but what's about shame? Well, I, I think shame has a similar purpose. You know, guilt is what did I do wrong? Mm. Shame feeling defective. Mm. Sort of that tap on the shoulder that says, um, and to fit, fit into society, um, I think there are times we... We do need to be ashamed of ourselves. Yeah, I suppose there's a differentiation between toxic shame, which just ceaseless self-criticism, versus some sense of healthy shame to help us, yeah, live in society. Yes, and and to also live up to our own standards. Yes. Sometimes we disappoint ourselves or, or we're ashamed. Um, so maybe it makes us reach higher. Mm. I, I think it has functions, but again, they're all value neutral. That it depends. You know, we like to just have things be this way or this way, but most things in life are based on the situation. And then we have to think it through each time. We don't like that. Just give us the answers. You know? <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. I I work with people who feel a lot. Um. And not all of them are very good regulators of their emotions because that is a skill that needs to be tra uh, trained. And very few of, of us have been given that education when we were little. So um, what do you think? I mean, in, in our email exchange, you said you have some idea of what do you think is going on with people who are sensitive. Can you expand more on that? And yeah, I'll, I'll ask my next question next. <laughs> but. Right. Well, I, I'm sure you know the book, The Highly Sensitive Person. For sure, yes. And I read it a long time ago. So, But my take on it, and I think it's really valuable for people um, to, because it's a kind of comprehensive look at it. But um, I think some of it is temperament. And you, know, you probably know more about that population per se than I do. But some of it is, is just temperament. Um, some of it is what you learn, whether you've been validated or not. Um, I, I do think that some people just feel feelings more strongly for better or worse. Yeah. But again, it's, to me, it is value neutral. So if you're somebody who feels a lot, you get to be the therapist of people who feel a lot. <laughs> That's very wonderful. Mm. Um, so all these, all the traits we have. I think in terms of evolution, you need to be regulated. So you don't, you know, highly sensitive maybe here and um, little sensitivity here when we, we each need to have enough of those, know when to use each one in what situation. Hear you. How can they handle emotions better without turning to food? 
The first thing is to really understand the purpose of emotions. They are to tell us what to do. That's that's what they're there for. So if a bear is charging at you, you feel fear, you will run. Makes perfect sense to me. Um, it's just so hard to sit with emotions sometimes without running off to something so handy to numb it. Well, I it's true, but I think if you if you really believe that you want to feel your feelings, now, what if people say they don't? I well, want to, in an ideal world, feel nothing that would make my life really easy. Um. I have a, a quote. I hope I can remember it so I don't have to get it. It's the only quote I have in my office by R.D. Lang, the British psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is a great deal of pain in life. And perhaps the only pain we can avoid is the pain of trying to avoid pain. Oh. So what I tell them is you figure out a way, and I use humor a lot, you figure out a way to live life without pain, call me. Because I want to get in on the ground floor of whatever you're manufacturing. Yeah, um, yeah, I love it. And so, so much suffering comes from the rejection of the little pain. Yes, and you have bigger pain. So what I tell people is, I think that's a lovely thought that you can get through life pain free. What I'll teach you is how to manage it in such a way that it doesn't feel as as badly. But yeah. you get to either choose pain now. Or later, but you never I love it. escape it. Yeah, yeah. What I say to people is it may feel like you ex- sometimes in life you to win a war, you need to surrender a battle. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So that usually works with people. Um, and I tell them, you know, that's fine as long as you can live with the consequences. Mm. You don't want yeah. And I guess people come to you because they already have some sense that what they have been doing all their lives doesn't work. It's breaking down yes, the defense system. But as you know, they, they come with that and they also often, not, not always, but often come with the unconscious, I think, attitude of, um, I ain't giving it up. Mm, mm. You know, so it's yeah. that tension and you try to hold it with them. You know, yeah. Uh, of saying, I understand your fear. I, I understand it, but what's the alternative? There is a way out. I think so many times people just need hope. Um, it's great because what we're talking about applies not just to food. It's all sorts right. of defenses anyone have. Overworking, shopping, numbing out, drinking, just or a way of relating to the world that has worked at some point but no longer, or it breaks down at some point. Well, what I tell clients is that what was adaptive once, perfectly reasonable in childhood, you know, no one was home or parents, your parents are arguing and you head to the fridge, is not adaptive anymore. Now it's maladaptive. Yeah. It's flipped over. So no wonder you're holding on to it, but it's the wrong strategy for adulthood. You have so many other choices, not just food. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I think a good number of my clients come in and ask me for skills. Mm. You know, they've got the hope, but they say, 
tell me how to do this. You know, from what are the what are the strategies? And um, I think there are a lot of them. Can you give us some? Um, well, one that I use a lot with food and feelings comes out of something called rapid resolution therapy. Um, and people can go on the website to learn about it. I took some workshops in it. The main idea is that we are triggered uh, emotionally by by memories. Right. And that we don't have to pay attention to those because they're memories from when we weren't safe. For instance, I was talking to a client who... Uh, Father died when she was young. Her, sec- her brother sexually abused her. Um, oh, I mean, and they moved from one country to another when she was young. And so the world wasn't very safe. Men weren't very safe to her. And so she goes to date now and she's you know, hypervigilant. And that was probably useful when she was younger. But now she has a different way of deciding if men are going to be good to her or not so those memories those feelings come out of memory what i call recall rather than reality Mm. and asking yourself am i safe can i manage this sure i'm an adult so i use that a lot with clients and they they like that so on the more nitty-gritty level what do they what can they do to catch themselves um well what I tell them is when you know you're in recall, when you are safe, but your feelings are intense as if they aren't. So they have to ask themselves and stay aware. Oh, I'm really frightened, but I really have no reason to be frightened. I'm going into a meeting with people I know. And then they realize that, you know, every time their family got together when they were younger, there was some discord and argument. And that's what it's from. So being aware of that and saying, where am I? Am I in recall or am I in reality? Which I can imagine doesn't necessarily immediately take away the strong feelings. It just gives people a different perspective. Well, sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it has to really be practiced, right, Right. to say that over and over Mm -hmm. so they can reassure themselves um, that they're safe. And it's called Rapid Resolution Therapy. Rapid Resolution Therapy. John Connolly is the um, originator of it. Um, it's pretty powerful stuff. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's great for trauma. Ah, yeah. Speaking of trauma, have you noticed a consistent pattern or patterns in your client's childhood experience? Does trauma have something to do with it? Yes. Um, mostly... Because the child's nervous system, if it's regularly if it's regularly dysregulated by outside things that happen in the family, um, it never it's always looking for the worst, and um, you know it disrupts it increases cortisol, it disrupts um, the production of serotonin and dopamine and things that calm us down. So. You're coming into the world of adults with a with a, a child's nervous system in some way, yeah, and and um, damaged. Not that it can't be repaired, but I feel like that is the work to 
to help um, repair it. And it, uh, you know, depending on what it is, it can take a long time. Sometimes it's just giving another meaning to something. You know, uh, for instance, this woman saying, oh, it's so awful. I had this eating disorder and I had my whole life planned out and saying, no big deal. That happened to me too. Look where I am. And then they say, oh, maybe it's not so bad. You know, I, I tell clients when I had bulimia and I binged and I had my finger down my throat, you know, with my head above the toilet seat, um, it never occurred to me how useful that would be in my career. Mm-hmm. How could it have? But looking back, it was what it was. Wow. You've come a long way. It's very inspiring. Yes. yes. Well, it sounds like you have also. <laughs> I will take that. Yes. <laughs> mm. um, you have mentioned some of the unconscious inner conflict that actually prevents people from getting better with food. And some of the interesting ones that you've mentioned are seeing weight as a batch of having suffered or fear of weight loss regarding sexual anxieties. Can you expand on these or some other interesting ones that people may not be aware of? Well, one of them is one I alluded to before, which is um, relinquishing food as comfort. I mean, you may not want food, but the idea of just suffering without comfort is horrible. It's untenable. Mm -hmm. So people are very conflicted, even though they say they want to give it up. They also don't want to give it up because... And they're really going to be hurt. So there's that. And then the other two you mentioned are really, you know, the, the biggest ones. Uh, talking to a client today. Are they the biggest ones? So you see them very often in your practice. Yes. Yes. Um, a client today was talking about two bad marriages. But, you know, would like to date. She understands what happens. and But as long as she's, she's what happens when I lose weight, very attractive woman, men hit on me and then I have to just deal with it. So, you know, there's a practical reason that she might want to keep eating to keep the weight on. Um, And I found with some sexual uh, abuse survivors, it is not, it, it is a way of saying, you have no idea how I've suffered in life. So realize I'm sensitive. Don't treat me lightly. It's a way to say I have a problem without using the words and telling the story. Mm. If they were to turn their pain into words, what might the words be? I'm suffering. I'm in pain. Look how I have. I, yeah. I have suffered. You know, even though I look great, with, you know, my life looks great now. Please understand that I'm very fragile and treat me as such. Mm. Mm. And that's hard for people because then it makes them feel defective and weak as so opposed that, to everyone's fragile. Isn't it so interesting what our planet, psychology could do to us where they twist things around without us even knowing? Yeah. 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 And well, that's it. We don't know. Mm, what does perfectionism and black and white thinking has to do with our eating? Myself, but more from, a, you know, 35 years of treating dysregulated eaters is, whether they're male or female, but 
mostly these are female traits. Um, uh, approval seekers and people pleasers, perfectionism, uh, all or nothing thinking, very hard on themselves, impatient for change, and maybe a little impulsive. And um, oh dear, you're describing someone I know really well from birth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, not that there aren't people without eating problems who have those traits as well, but they really seem to mesh well um, with, with food. And um, the way I approach perfectionism is I, uh, I tell people, pretend you have four baskets you get to decide what you're perfect or excellent at. Ah. One is, uh, you know, perfect, excellent. The other is good, fair, poor. And then I'll give them examples from my life. And you know, I'll say, I mean, perfect, perfect. I want uh, the um, pilot of an airplane to do a perfect job, a surgeon, an Olympic athlete you know, who's performing. Uh, maybe some other things, but not many. I mean, you don't have to clean your house perfectly. You don't have to make a cake perfectly. Um, so then you get to decide which goes where. Like for me, it's bookkeeping goes in poor. Um, I'd say house cleaning is you know good to fair. I want to be a great friend. I want to be a great um, therapist. Um, and then there's, um, I'm a good writer. I don't think I'll ever be a great writer. That's fine with me. And it takes So we can practice off. letting some balls drop. Right. Or just put the, putting the balls where, where you want it. To, you know, it's not even dropping. It's just putting it down and saying, I'm yeah. not picking up. Yeah, Karen, I still feel the temptation to stuff all my balls in the perfection basket. <laughs> well... Um, I guess that's when some something spills out, isn't it? Well, I think if you decide ahead of time, you see, I would say that's recall. That that's the memory that clicks in that says, if you don't, whatever. Yeah, interesting. But in real life, it doesn't matter, and you're safe making yeah. your choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think in my practice too, I see lots of people with nice girl, nice boy syndrome. Why is being nice advice sometimes? Well, again, it's it's value, value neutral. neutral. Yes, right. There are times you want to be nice. Mm. Somebody has a gun to your head and wants your purse. You probably want to be nice. I mean, maybe you want to fight back, but um, if somebody hurts you all the time, disappoints you, shows up late, says mean things to you. I don't think nice is appropriate. Maybe we should take a step back to define what you mean by nice girl or nice boy syndrome. Well, nice to me is when you got the whole box of crayons and you just pick always the nice one. Mm. Don't hurt somebody's feelings. Don't disappoint them. Don't make them feel bad. But then so we have so much control over what others feel. Yes. I mean, we actually, we, we, we do, but then we, we uh, sort of wrap our lives around that and we become like pretzels trying to make their lives better. Um, I, um, I never really thought about what it. What a poignant image, pretzel, huh? 
well, yeah, yeah we twist ourselves up. Um, yeah. And it's just a lot of work. It's exhausting. And, and yeah, and we don't really know. We don't really know what, if we're doing others good or bad. It's what I always think. That's right, because we do it unconsciously. Mm. We're not really doing it for their benefit. We're doing it so we don't have to experience causing discipline. I, again, I said to a client today, you can cause adults disappointment. Adults can handle it. We, we are supposed to. It's not a bad thing if you someone's disappointed. Big deal. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not for us to fix. Right. Right. Mm. And it makes us stronger. I mean, it makes us, I, I can't imagine what a person would be like who was never disappointed. Certainly no one I'd want to know. Yeah, that's a really good point, um, especially for people who feel like they need to protect other people's feelings or their lives. But I can also imagine some people just feel very anxious being angry at and they struggle to say no to others and it feels yep. really unsafe to upset someone. The key is it feels unsafe, but it isn't. Mm. That's, and that's the pivotal point. You know, if, if your father hit you or your mother didn't talk to you for three days because you talked back to them, that was unsafe and it was very smart to be nice. But now that's not going to happen. And if it does, you're an adult. It's an adult, an adult, and you really are safe yeah. to say what you want. Yeah. And people learn this. I mean, I, you really can teach it to people over time. And it's great. They'll come in and say, no, somebody did this to me, and, and I told them off. They feel so empowered. Is there, a feeling. is there a small step people could take if they have been very nice all their lives and they never say no. Is there a small experiment people can action on? The one that I recommend is if you're in the supermarket mm. and um, you know, a place where it's mostly strangers, right? And someone cuts in front of you, you say very kind, oh, I'm so sorry, but I, you know, I, I think you were behind me. That's good. That kind of thing. Not yeah. in front of um stranger who cares you're never going to see them again that or that kind of thing just saying someone in a cinema <laughs> yeah well and and also not saying i'm sorry all the time ah. um I, I, my office is a sorry free zone yeah. people cannot come in they can say it once if they were like but that's it nice um, so i think those are small steps yeah no those are really good gets the ball rolling and gets people to have an embodied experience of how it is actually safe. Yes. No one dies. Right. It feels or, okay. And usually no one even gets hurt. Mm. Um, and if they do, they're grown ups. What? And if they do, they are grown ups. Yes, that's right. And we expect grown ups expect to be hurt. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that, um, People can take the small steps to feel empowered and then they, they want more of it. And when they see that nothing happens, they understand you're not meant to be like that all the time. And I also tell them they'll never forget how to be nice. So they don't have to worry about 
they worry about going the other end. Uh, I'm going to become mean like my mother. I know. And I say, no, never happen. You ride the brakes all the time. You will never take your foot off the brake. You're not mean because you don't want to be mean. Mom was mean because she didn't realize she was mean. So you can never be mean. And that makes them feel better. Absolutely. I think people get into trouble when it becomes an entrenched pattern in relationships where they just never able to actually say what they think with a partner, even after many years. And a lot of highly sensitive and empathic people because they just really know what it feels to be upset. They don't want to upset anyone and they know how to protect others, others' feelings and then they overdo it. What I would add, the way I view it, is they are basing what it feels to be upset on how they felt mostly as a child. Yeah. And that's what they think other adults feel which would be awful, but the other adults don't feel like that. That is such a good point. That is such a good point. Right. So they are, the person themselves is feeling the upset of the child and they think everybody else is. It's projecting outward. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. As opposed to realizing we have, you know, we have fully formed brains now. We have different experience to look at upset like, Okay, I didn't get invited to the party. The world won't end. Yeah. Ah, this is such a good conversation. It is. Yeah. When I still hold a lot of, um, when I still held a lot of unprocessed trauma myself, I remember going to the supermarket, looking at some cans that were dented or boxes that were, you know, slightly left behind because there were some bruises on it and felt sorry for them and so I would buy all the crooked cans just because as though I were adopting all these supermarkets orphans which I now think back and just think it's hilarious but see that's an example of me just projecting out of nowhere this feeling of being abandoned and left behind onto objects and damaged Yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 Great it's, it's a great image. I mean, it's very powerful. Yeah. Well, I no longer do that. I just leave them on the shelves. <laughs> but I bet when you connect with your clients, they they really they connect to you better because you're able to explain it that way and describe it. Thank you. Is there a practical, actionable exercise, meditation kind of thing that you can lead us through? Uh, Don't worry if not. We've no, I, I would say, you know, the, the, the closest... Well, what, here's something that I use a lot. Um, and it's not original, and I can't even tell you where I got it. I wish I knew. And it's it has to do with trains and managing your thoughts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like a mindfulness. Okay, yes. Uh, I'll say to somebody, you know, what's the biggest um, subway station you've ever been in? So I don't know what this is. For me, it's it's New York, Manhattan, New York um, City, Manhattan. right? Because I I grew up there. So um, uh, I, so they may say, uh, yeah. I said, well, where do you where do you usually take the train? And they'll say, well, I'm um, I go to the Bronx. So when a train for Brooklyn comes by, do you get on it? And they laugh and they say, no. How about Staten Island? 
Uh, how about Washington Heights? No, no, no. So simple thoughts are the same way. They come mm-hmm. around. You don't have to get on them. And even Wonderful. if you do and you realize something's wrong, you know, you ring the cord and you get off. So to think about thoughts like trains, only get on the ones that are going to the destination. Oh, that is amazing. To. I really like it. I really like it. Yeah. As I said, it's not original and I've been using it for years. But I have never heard of it before. I've yeah. heard of the, you know, thoughts as trains and just go by, but this this is really powerful. I like the fact that I could get off. And right. It takes a right. lot of, it's a bit annoying and it takes a bit of time, but I can go back. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. Go back and get on the right train and wait. And, you, you know, the trains keep coming around. Yeah. So it's yeah. not like you get off and they're not going to come by. Yeah. But, um, yeah, clients will come in like the next week after that. I didn't get on any bad trains this week. Um, you know, they like it because it's visual. It is, yeah. I can. I'm a very visual person, and it's embodied too. You can think back on the actual experience of yourself being on trains. Yes, being what it's like to be on the wrong train, and know you knowing you're going to the wrong destination. Yeah, yeah. And even if there were a bit of a panic, it will cease. Mm. Mm-hmm. The other thing I use with thoughts is, is um, I'll say, is about picking bananas when you go to the supermarket. I see, do you just take all the bananas and put them in your cart? I said, no. What do you do? Well, I pick out the bananas that I like. Mm. So I use that. Well, you do the same thing with your thoughts. Yeah. You don't just take them all home. Well, oh, except if you were talking to the old me, well, I'll take all the broken bananas home. Yes, all the <laughs> sad, poor, Broken bananas, right? Mm. But um, so use I use things like that, nice to to help it be more concrete. And it's funny; people laugh at it. It is funny. I like it. Mm-hmm. We're coming towards the end of our chat. Um, what is your definition of resilience? Of resilience. Resilience. <sighs> what comes to my mind? Taking the worst of you and making the best of it. Wow. Well, say no more. (laughs) That's enough. Yeah. Kind of what we have both done with our lives. Mm. Yeah. It's a sacred process, but it's um, well worth it. To me, it's just necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Can you share with us a book that has changed your life? Oddly, um, yeah, several, but uh, it, it's funny. The movie Little Women yeah, yeah. just came out. I haven't seen it. I've read the book and I've seen earlier movies. But when I read the book, um, the character Joe in it had um, a bad temper. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know how old I was when I read it, but... Um, I didn't, I thought I had a bad temper um, and um, I didn't want to be like her. And because of her, um, I think I did change that. And I'm not anybody you would think of as having a bad temper now. Yeah. Interesting. And I think you have transmuted the high energy that you have into something that is useful rather than, you know, I, I think if they were, 
dispersed energy, they may come out as something that looks like bad temper, but instead you have channeled them in a productive way. So it becomes productivity, vitality, assertiveness, things that you, I think you, I think you serve as a really strong role model for many girls and boys as well, but strong female role model. Thank you for saying that. I never thought of it that way, but I think you're right. Some of it was just strong feelings. Mm. Yeah, strong energy. Yeah. Can you share with us a quote or a song or a poem? I think you've shared some quotes already, but um, if there is one. Um, no, I, I would just say the one by R.D. Lang about pain. That, yeah. that to me just covers it all. Yeah, yeah. It's the only quote I need to have. Can you repeat this for us? Uh, there is a great deal of pain in life. And perhaps the only pain we can avoid is the pain of trying to avoid pain. Yeah. It just encapsulates our work, doesn't it? It's a hard sell, I have to say, in our fast food culture. (laughs) It is, but all the more necessary because it's a hard sell. Yeah. Yeah. And you you probably couldn't do anything else. I know I couldn't. So it's who you are. Yeah. So thank you so much. Finally, tell us where to find you. And if there's any exciting projects that you want to share with us, please do. Okay. My website is www.karenrkoenig.com. Mm-hmm. And um, my big news is that my eighth book will be coming out <gasps> in 2021. Eighth? Yeah. See, that's what I meant by energy. Yeah. Yeah, well, I love to write. I mean, I love to do client work, but I also love to write. Um, so um, that will be on eating and self-talk. Interesting. And, uh, so I'm looking for, I just turned the manuscript in. I'm looking forward to that coming out. And um, I have written over uh, over a thousand blogs. I think I have something like 1,400 blogs. And so people can sign up for them and just get, you know, get them in your mailbox. I have a Facebook page on normal eating. Um, So people can stay connected. Um, Congratulations on the book. I'll put all of these in the show notes so people could link to it, to link to them. Um, And this was great. I I felt this was, um, it was fun. And for me, if something's fun, it reached me. I've really enjoyed your energy, um, your wisdom. And as I said, I think you're a very strong role model for many people. And you certainly have channeled your intensity in a very (laughs) beautiful and productive way. And thank thank you. you. Thank you for being you. Yes, and likewise, for the work that you do. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in. For more, please head to eggshelltherapy.com. There you will find more stories, articles and resources for people just like me and you. Bye now! Keep putting one foot in front of the other Moving forwards, never looking back Just one more in front of all those countless others and we're there imagine